Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, our guest is Jason Massey, who is the founder and president of Massey R&D Tax Credits. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you, Gary. Thanks for having me. So what, what made you get into uh, you know, the accounting law field? I started off um, very for, <laughs> for various reasons, very shallow. When I was in high school, I worked for a CPA firm mowing their lawn. And it was owned by a family friend. And to be honest, he drove a different nice car every other year. And I said, huh, I wonder what he does. And so when I was during their busy season, uh, I would see them in the office. I'd go up there on a Saturday and they're all doing tax work. And so I just would stop in everybody's office. I'd also clean their offices. So I'd stop in and say hi. And they'd tell me a little bit about what they do. So my senior year of high school, I took an accounting class and I did really well. And that just kind of led to be an accounting major. And I was always interested in law school, but I was a little too practical. So I thought I better get a degree in something that actually has some market value, because what if I get to law school and I don't like it? Right. So I I worked for four years there in Washington, D.C. when I got out of undergrad. And that's still I still had the law school bug after that. So I became a CPA, worked there in D.C., and then I went back to law school and then you know, the, the path forward to being in tax credits really started when I was when I was in undergrad, I worked for Arthur Anderson, which was one of the big accounting firms at the time. And they sent me out to Federal Express. I was I was in Memphis. FedEx was one of their clients. And uh, they said, Jason, go observe this research credit meeting that the that the client's going to have with the IRS. So I said, OK, cool. So I go out there in my suit and I walk into the room and there's a bunch of Arthur Anderson suits and the FedEx suits on one side. So I take my little seat, and my notepad. And on the other side were a bunch of IRS engineers, not quite dressed the same. Right. But we were in this uh, windowless conference room at, at a facility that was next to their sorting facility there at the airport. It was as boring and dull as you, you know, you would, you wouldn't imagine. I mean, it was just horrible. And we started this conversation and the, the, the FedEx and Anderson team had brought down this professor from the University of Chicago who was going to talk to the IRS about statistical sampling because they had used sampling on their research credit process. And so my job was just to listen and take notes. And so as I started listening to this, this Chicago professor, he was speaking at this level. Right. Everybody else in the room is right here. And I look, I was watching the IRS and they did not understand a thing he was saying. They were bored. His message was not resonating resonating with them. And I came away from that going, why didn't we just take the IRS into the sorting facility, which has got incredible, the planes are backing up, the packages are coming in, they're sorting left and right, they're getting on another airplane. I was like, this is where the technology is, not in that conference room. And so it, it kind of taught me as a very young person, wow, this research credit is kind of a complicated area. You not only have to learn how to claim it, but also how to uh, convey it to the IRS in such a way where they're going to approve it. Right. 
Now, how, how many years ago was that? That was 1989. So, wow, 34 years. Like, I, yeah. you and I are getting old, but I can't right. believe it's been that long, you know? So, so, I mean, obviously, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you have a, a lot of expertise at this. Um, you're, you're asked all the time to come speak to groups about, you know, the different R&D credits and, and things that are out there. Um, I guess, in a nutshell, can you tell us kind of what R&D credits are? Because some people think it's, oh, anything I do, if it's new, is, is R&D. Not necessarily is that, is that true, but can you give us, you know, just a, a, a snapshot? Yeah. So I always start off by telling people you can have a deduction for tax purposes, but that's generally only worth whatever the tax rate is. Right. So a 35% tax rate may, means your deduction's worth 35 cents. A credit is worth a dollar. Right. So when we have a tax liability and it's a hundred dollars and I got, I got you a hundred dollar R and D credit, man, that's cash that you don't have to pay the government. So it's found money. And what happened was in the 1970s, when things were quite dysfunctional in our country, there was the, the oil embargoes and the gas shortages and hostage crisis. And anyway, uh, the Congress in 1981 was looking at uh, what can we do to keep companies here in the U.S. versus them sending all their R&D to Japan and Germany, who both had publicly stated at that time, we're going to win the R&D war. And so the credit was born and it was to incentivize companies to do research in the U.S., and it's basically wages of the people doing the work, supply costs of things that they're building related to R&D, and contractor spend. So you don't necessarily have to be doing the work all yourself. You can hire a contractor like a 1099 employee, or you could hire a company, for example, a software company to design software for you that you uh, then incorporate into your business. And so you take those three and you add them up, and there are there are particular things that are research called research and development activities, and that's what the workers are doing. They're designing, developing, improving, enhancing an existing product that already is on the market or a new product that is being totally created from scratch, or it can be a process improvement. So you can have plants and facilities that have a particular process of manufacturing Maybe they need to uh, add a new piece of equipment. So they got to test out the whole line again for that new piece of equipment. Or, or maybe they're trying to be safer or they're adding, uh, it's going to be faster. So better, faster, cheaper, quicker, right. safer. Um, and those are a little bit harder to figure out. But at most manufacturing companies, they have you know an engineer and that's their job is to make sure everything's working properly. So so when you accumulate these activities, then you look at the expenditures that are associated with those. For example, if you have an engineer and they make $100,000 on their W-2 and it's box one of their W-2 and they spend 50% of their time on R&D, then you say 50% times $100,000 salary. You have a $50,000 uh, cost now that goes into your R&D credit calculation. And every dollar you put into the funnel, the R&D funnel, is worth about 10 cents. So you have to have a lot of costs in there for it to be a big credit, but it's all relative, right? So I'm, I would work with companies now that would have, uh, I don't know, several hundred thousand dollars worth of credits a year on up to Walmart, which has $120 million a year. 
of credit. So that's kind of, that's why I'm in, that's why I'm in this business is because I started my career at Arthur Anderson and with Ernst and Young, I was at a big law firm. And what I noticed was those firms, the, they, they're still using the tactics and the process that they used in the eighties. They're still using that today. And what that is, is it's an interview forward approach. So to give you an example, when Federal Express back in that 1989 example, when they needed to get the Arthur Anderson people some information, you know, we, we didn't have internets or phones. Right. So you drove out to the FedEx facility and you sat in front of them and you talked to them about what they're doing. And that process of having the accounting firm ask the questions and the engineers give the responses, the accounting firm would write it up and ultimately prepare the calculations and the documentation. But what I noticed and what I kind of felt like was ridiculous was the accounting firm would have four or five people in the room from the partner to the senior manager, the manager, the senior, and the staff. The staff person, the lowest person on the totem pole is trying to write the notes. So you have a 22 or 23-year-old trying to listen to a 55-year-old engineer tell them all this technical stuff about what they did. And so they're like, you know, the engineer is talking about the carbon deculator and this and that. And the person's like, I don't even know how to spell that. I don't know what that is. (laughs) But I really, I felt like too, Gary, back then, like when we would have open enrollment for healthcare, it was a pain. You know, we'd all go into a conference room and the HR administrator would pass out huge reams of paper with all the different plans you would have to go home and compare this and that. It was really not, there wasn't a chart even to have it all summarized nicely. You'd come back in, you'd say, okay, these are my selections. And it'd be like three months later, you'd get your card. Right. Well, if you take that today, open enrollment for healthcare, you get a link from your HR department. It has a portal. You go onto the portal. There's like a personalized video. Right. Hi, Jason. Last year, your spend was this year. This year is here's some recommendations. I click, click, click. I can print my card. So that is a fantastic way to use technology. So I always said, you know, the weird thing about the research credit is it's supposed to reward companies for being innovative. Right. And so I'm talking to people who are developing really cool technology, and yet I'm still using this interview approach to get the information from them. So in 2004, when I left my last law firm, I was like, I'm going to start a company. We're going to focus on how do we bring the R&D tax credit process of getting information from engineers into this, this century. Right. And, and so since this time, it's almost been 20 years now, I've just focused on what are technology tools that we can either give to the client or have the client fill out or have the client implement that will make their life easier, also make my life easier to where their engineers don't dread this conference room interview approach. So the big four, still the big gorillas out there, they have R&D practices. And I'm very thankful that I learned in that environment because it was an amazing place to learn about the credit. But they still think, they still do things that way, that interview approach, interview heavy. Now, COVID has changed it a little bit because people weren't in the offices for, what, two years. Right. Um, But Anyway, that's kind of my calling card. That's why my company exists is we want to take people practices and technology, marry them together and customize whatever that is for that client. It's, I mean, it's kind of funny that, that you're saying that R&D credits, obviously it's, it's to innovate and things like that. And you have this old school thought 
that, hey, we're going to still do this the old way and interview and, and try to take what you're saying and, and put it in writing as compared to, okay, let's use some technology, let's use some innovation to be able to do this. So um, it, I don't know how many, you know, when you're looking at as a percentage and stuff like that, how many are still going to to the big gorillas to, to do this and are saying, well, wait a second, why are we doing this in such an old old way of doing things? Um, yeah, the, and let me give you another example, Gary. The About seven or eight years ago, I met with a VP of tax at a pretty big company, you know, maybe 10 billion of revenue. And he said, Jason, I pay PwC a million dollars a year to help me with this credit. Now, it was a big credit. It was 25 or $30 million they were getting. So as a percentage, right. paying, paying PwC a million. But he said, what I don't like about it is two things. One, we have 20 locations in the US. They're, they're sending four people to 20 different locations. And they're taking one of my tax guys from my tax department with them. And so you have five people that are sitting in a room with one engineer right. at 20 different facilities. It was 18 weeks of the year that his tax guy was gone on the road. Wow. So he said, I want you to come up with a process where my guy doesn't have to travel with you and you do things a lot cheaper than PwC. So I said, okay, challenge accepted. And what I did was I wrote down every step that I thought we needed to take in the process to get this study done. And then I looked at every line item and I said, do you need to be a CPA or a lawyer to do this step? And what I found was there were only a few of those items that really needed to be a CPA lawyer. What you really needed to do is leverage technology better and also just be friendly. Because a lot of these engineers are like, my day job is to invent something right. cool for the company. You're asking me about something that happened a year ago. So can't you come up with some, some better way for me to give you this, this information? And so I was like, okay. I'm going to use a scalpel approach. And so everybody on my team is going to be a surgeon. We're going to, somebody's going to prep the patient. Somebody's going to, I'm going to come in and do my thing. And that's kind of where we, where we went. And we decided, okay, for this engagement, this big study, yes, I figured out a way to reduce their fee down to about $400,000 from the million. Wow. I also was able to do the entire study before PwC gave them their last year's report. So I lapped, I was able to lap them. Yeah. And so at that point, we knew we kind of had proof of concept, like doing things remotely, doing things smarter in terms of how do we engage with them. So it's not just all about the technology, because for example, I could send a survey to an engineer and just say, fill this out. Right. Tell me about what you did last year. A lot of times they'd rather sit with you in a conference room, you know, and talk to you about what they did rather than fill something out. Right. But if I train them, if I give them sample answers of what I'm looking for, if I have a little webinar that shows them, if I have videos that are customized to show them step by step, um, if we have a little help desk that's going to walk them through everything should they need that, then they could actually fill out something at their kid's soccer practice or Saturday morning while they're drinking their coffee. And so that's kind of what we found was most engineers below a certain age kind of like the flexibility of being able to answer you on their own time. And also when you start to do that, you, you can do that. I could, if you think about it, like if I'm going to try to go to 20 locations, 
that's a lot of travel. That's a lot of expense. It's a lot of Jason Massey time or my team's time. But if I want to send out 20 emails right now, it's done. Right. I can get on a video call like this and have all 20 people that I was going to go see all hop on in 30 minutes, tell them the instructions, send them a link. They can fill something out. And then all of a sudden projects done in a day versus how many ever weeks that would have taken to schedule. So and it, it, it sounds like it makes more sense also because if you're doing this with with this engineer this year, um, you know they're looking at okay, we're going to continue doing this each year down the road because that's what they're paying me for is to come up with new ideas. So I'm learning this is how you want this. I like the way it is, so I can do it as I go. And just like you said, it's like, okay, you already lapped one of the gorillas in the fact of you got your stuff done so much faster, which as the client, that means I'm getting the money back in my pocket a heck of a lot faster, which I, I certainly want. And you reduce the cost, which again, is improving my bottom line. So it's just, you know, again, it, it makes a whole lot more sense to do this in a new way. Um, as compared to, to how it's been done in the past. And and Gary, one other benefit that's huge is when the accounting firm has that junior accountant writing up, they, they know how to wordsmith it in such a way. They'll have the tax regulations over here. Right. And it'll say you need uncertainty in this process of experimentation. So lo and behold, over here, well, the engineer said it had uncertainty and process of experimentation, and it matches. The IRS is wised up. The IRS will get a report written by one of those companies now and say, you know what, this is kind of watered down. I don't even, it has all the legalese that I need to see, but I don't really believe it. So what they'll do in the audit is say, I want to interview the SME. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll show that, they'll show that right up in front of the SME's face and say, did you write this? And they'll say, no. And they'll say, do you recognize this? No. And, and so what I'm trying to do is get the engineers to speak in their own language, tell us about their project. And then I'm putting that directly in my final report. So when the IRS reads it, it's written. I have written by engineer, you know, John Smith. Right. And I have his words and I have his documentation that he provided me and all that. So then the IRS already has it. It's not in a nice little package that they can review. And they hardly ever ask my clients to interview them anymore now. And that's a big thing. So the IRS is generally about three years behind. So if you think about it, what did you have for lunch yesterday? Do you remember? (laughs) Most people don't. Right. You're going to ask an engineer three or four years down the road what he did back in 2019. Right. Now, if he wrote it down and he gave it to you and he wrote it out and he gave you all the documents, then he can refresh his memory Mm -hmm. to at least see. But if he was just in an interview, he doesn't remember that from the next day. And the accountant watered it down so much that it's not really good evidence anymore. So, So there's a lot of benefits. I'm looking for evidence so that the IRS will sustain this credit. That's the number one thing. We don't want to claim a big credit and have it all disallowed. Right. And I'm trying to be more efficient for the engineers, for the tax people, for me, my team. So it's kind of a marriage of two things that are both good results for the clients. So, right. So now, Jason, some, I mean, obviously, this is your specialty. This is what you do day in and day out. what are some of the mistakes that you're seeing of these these CPA firms that kind of do a little bit of everything and they try to do these R&D credits? What, what do you see some of the, the issues that are happening? Yeah, so let me give you an example. The I speak at a conference in D.C. every year that Morgan Lewis, the law firm, puts on on R&D. 
And so seven or eight years ago, when I would come and speak, about 20 different CPA firms would send people there, their staff there to train, to learn about the tax credit. And it would be the big four and BDO and Grant and kind of the Crow and then the next tier even. But there, there was only about 20 firms that would send people. TCJA, when it got passed, it made the research credit permanent in the tax code. And it actually, Trump Trump's administration then took away some of the other things people could get. And so the research credit even became more valuable. I did the same speech at Morgan Lewis in November of 2022, so just a few months ago, and there were 93 different firms there. Wow. So from 20 to 93. Now, they're all wanting to have every corner CPA firm out there is wanting to have an R&D practice because it's sexy and it's valuable. It's very valuable credit. So they all want a J Jason Massey to be there. And so what's happening is the IRS... I don't know if you remember the old I Love Lucy show, but there was one where I Love Lucy, where they went to the chocolate factory yeah. and Lucy and Ethel are working on the line. And so when it's coming in slow, they're able to handle the chocolates. But when things start getting rapid, like they're putting it down their shirt, they're eating them. And it's right. just this hilarious scene. I view that as the IRS. IRS workers are at the assembly line and these tax returns are coming in with R&D claims. And a few years ago, it was slow and they could keep up with it and handle it. COVID hit, which really hurt the IRS. They weren't prepared to do things electronically or remotely. Right. So tax returns got stacked up in mail offices and rooms, and even if they were filed electronically. So what's happened recently is the IRS in the last two years has said, eh, we don't really like the seven or eight numbers on the tax form anymore. We want you to give more information. And they're looking to change the form, actually. They said for refund claims, we're going to just go ahead and make you attach a bunch of additional information. So a lot of these other CPA firms put junior people in charge of this area, said, go read the tax code and then start selling some studies for our clients. They don't really know. They haven't. I mean, this credit was it was birthed in 81 and I started in 89. So I've been around for most of the life of the credit. I've seen so many cases, so many different examiners. So you can't take a 55-year-old guy who's been doing this for that long against a 30-year-old who just is right. supposed to go learn it. And that's the difference between, I think, what we offer versus other companies. It's it's really, it's knowledge in terms of exactly what the IRS wants. And it's also problem solving, figuring out how to do, how do we, from a big company perspective, come into your company and figure out the best way to communicate with your people, what kind of tools we want to use, and then get their buy-in and then successfully run the project. And I think a lot of a lot of firms out there are just trying to rush into this business, not really realizing that it's got a lot of hair on it. There's a lot of complexities related to it. Right. So in, in you know, obviously most of the companies that you're dealing with size-wise are large because obviously, you know, they're that that's that's where the RD credits are coming from. Um from somebody who's looking at, um, you know, that their business is smaller um, and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe their sales are five, five to 10 million, but they are um, coming up with, uh, you know, computer wise, writing new code for something. Um, what would be your suggestion to them if they're thinking that, that, you know, that they do have possibly an R&D credit issue? Yeah. And so almost every company out there, there's, there's software companies. And so if you're in manufacturer or you're in another business and you want to buy somebody's software, that doesn't, 
that's not an eligible item for the research credit. But a lot of people have an accounting system and they want this new software that they bought to talk to their accounting system. And SAP is a good example. SAP has to be, there's middleware that has to be written to make SAP work within your environment, in your company's right. environment. That middleware is eligible for the research credit because it hasn't, it's it's not something you were able to buy from SAP. You actually had to create it. And a lot of times you use your internal software guys to write that code. Um, supply chain is a big thing now and logistics. So a lot of people are writing software custom for their business related to that. If you have uncertainty related to the fact that you couldn't go out and buy another third party and you're having to create it from scratch, then you're going to be eligible for the credit. So I feel like it's, it's every company is going to have their own materiality threshold for some small business owners, $40,000 is like huge, like free money. Also, states have credits. Uh, I'm down in Atlanta, Georgia, and we have a credit here in Georgia that even if you have losses, you can take it against your payroll taxes. Now, that's a very unique situation, yeah. but other states around the country have. So it's not just the 10 cents on the dollar. You add in the state, now it's 15 or 20 cents on the dollar. It can be real money. So I just tell everybody out there, if you feel like you're doing something innovative or if you're hiring a firm to do something innovative for you, you should you should definitely explore it and see what's out there. Um, my, my firm is Massey Tax Credits. We'd be glad to help vet anybody out there. I can generally, honestly, now that I've been doing this for so long, I can talk to somebody for 10 minutes and say, yeah, you got a credit. No, right. you don't. Back of the envelope, here's what it looks like. Um, so it gives people kind of a, a business ROI related to the credit, which makes sense. And a lot of firms... Will will struggle and they'll they might deal, try to bill you hourly to help you figure that out. My firm is just a fixed fee thing, so whenever we help somebody do a potential calculation or feasibility, it's usually free. Right. And then if they want to move forward, we'll give them a fixed fee to do that. So, but I I enjoy talking to people about this area. It's obviously a passion of mine and something that I've been doing so long now that it's it's not any sweat off my brow to talk to somebody for twenty or thirty minutes and kind of give them some advice. So. Right. And I, I think that that's something important for the listeners to understand, too, is, is just like you said, it's like, you know, you've been doing this such a long time, you're going to be able to identify it right away as compared to having, you know, a, a, an accounting tax firm, whoever come in, an attorney come in and say, oh, well, here, we can help you figure it out. Um, I think it's, you know, one of those things that it's best to go to somebody who's been doing this for a while to be able to do this. Cause like you said, we can tell them pretty quick and, and, and help them out. It's it, Gary. It's a, it's a little bit like a general practitioner in a, pra yep. in a doctor's office versus the brain surgeon. It just depends on what you need from, if you need brain surgery, you need to go to the brain surgeon. So this is an area that, you know, it's very niche area of the law. I was really one of the first people to kind of form an R and D only company that this is all we do. And right. people mocked me at the time, but it's worked out okay. Right. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Jason, we've gone over, you know, a lot of things here real quick. Um, what is it that I haven't asked you that you wish I had? One thing that I would say is we put on a quarterly roundtable. And this is for tax people who are curious about the credit, or maybe they're handling the credit already, or maybe they outsource the credit. But it's for tax people CFOs, business owners, whatever. We do it once a quarter. It's free. It's one hour of CPE for you CPAs. 
And we actually have it coming up um, this Thursday. I'm not sure when this is going to actually get published, but it's this Thursday coming up uh, at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can sign up at my website, MasseyTaxCredits.com. But what we do is we get a DC lawyer. And this, this month is, or this quarter is Alex Sadler from Morgan Lewis. He'll talk about section 174. So everybody's really interested in 174 because you have to capitalize costs now. And that's a big thing. I'm then leading a panel with a guy from Fujifilm and McAfee and a couple of other companies. They're going to talk to you about what it is they're doing related to 174. And then I have one of my colleagues and I at the very end of the hour are going to talk about some practical application of this particular thing. So 174 is a big piece of the research credit, but because it hasn't been changed legislatively, everybody's having, every company now is having to deal with this. So that would be the thing. And then, you know, people can sign up for our newsletters and other things related to this. We, we have maybe 250 people, tax people from around the country join on these uh, webinars. They're wildly successful and very, I think very informative. So. Great. Great. So Jason, if people like what they hear, uh, besides signing up, you know, the, the tax guys and business owners signing up, how can they reach out to you to talk to you, maybe schedule an appointment uh, to be able to talk to you about what they think they may have? Yeah, they can either, you probably don't want them going through you, but they could go through you to get to me or um, my, my email is jmassey at masseytaxcredits.com. So, or they can go to Massey Tax Credits. There's a little about us thing. They can click on that. I have a, you know, a CEO that helps to run the business from a sales perspective. I've got a marketing lady so they can get back to you. But yeah, I would love to just chat, do a video chat with anybody out there that thinks they might have opportunity and I can at least help you uh, decide where to go forward if if I'm not if 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 it's uh of a certain size that my company doesn't do, I could probably recommend somebody else to help you with it. Great. Jason, really appreciate your time today. Pre appreciate the wisdom. I think that uh I know I've learned a lot and I think our, our listeners will have learned a lot uh from this and and appreciate uh you know that you're available as a resource to them also. Sure. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Gary. So this week, our guest was Jason Massey, who's the founder and president of Massey Tax Credits. We'll see you guys next week. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.